Hello and welcome to another episode of the EBRD Star Venture podcast. Today with us, we have Serge Lonka from Skok123 Angel Group, who is an entrepreneur, mentor, and investor. Serge, could you tell us a bit about you and what is your story? Sure. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, originally from what used to be the former Yugoslavia. I'm kind of uh, affiliated to every region in different ways of, and, and raised in Belgrade. My mother's from Bosnia and my father's from the Croatian islands. Um, so I'm very much uh, in touch with the whole region, have been and still am. Um, my background is I started out with uh, Johnson Johnson in, in the former Yugoslavia, came to the U.S. to get my MBA at Stern when the former war started, so to say. And then I went on to work for Pepsi, again, J&J, after which I went on to do two VC-backed startups, which uh, exited one to Bertelsmann, the German media company, the other one to Procter & Gamble. And then in 2011, I started my own company, Carespeak Communications, which was a digital health startup, working mostly pharma companies, which I sold to Optimize RX. It's a NASDAQ small cap company. In 2018, I finished earnout in 2021. And then since then, I've been very active since 2019 in angel investing in the United States. I founded Skok123 in early 2020. We are a group of about nearly 30 people. About 80% of us are US-based. Most of us are old expats from the former Yugoslavia. Uh, we have a few of our American friends, and then also a few people that are still locally in the region. So we basically focus on companies in, in that region and really our kind of, I'd say, niche is to try to find, help them get into the U.S. market with some smart money. That's great. And what kind of startups are you currently investing in? So in, in the region of the former Yugoslavia, it's, it's really, you can't really be selective in terms of what segments you focus on because the market is just too small. So we really invest in a variety of different companies, but there's always somewhat of a preference for, for software versus hardware or other kind of retail models because it is just a lower cost structure. Usually you need less capital to get to certain milestones. But kind of the first company we invested uh, in was or is a hardware software company out of Croatia called Sports React. Uh, it's a sports technology company. I just made my another investment in a company also in Croatia that does virtual reality. And we're in due diligence with two companies out of Serbia right now. They're both uh, software-based companies. In the United States, I should say, it's a little different because... It's a big market. I'm in the New York City tri-state area. So there's most of the companies we see is in the Philadelphia, New York region. But we see sometimes also California companies. And again, they're mostly, interesting enough, I actually haven't invested in any healthcare because I'm too close to it probably. So I'm too cynical about it. But mostly invested in, in software companies. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So being an investor and with your experience, can you tell us a little bit more about what is your take on valuations in the emerging regions compared to the others, other regions like in the US? Yeah, so valuations probably hit their peak right around and, and immediately after COVID everywhere. And I would say about a year, a year and a half ago in the United States, we start seeing a significant correction. I'd say today it's probably, you know, 
probably around half of what it was a year, year or, or two ago. In the region of the former Yugoslavia, I think things have been a little different in the sense that valuations went high pretty quickly in, in, in line with what happened in the U.S. market, but they haven't come down as quickly. And you know, I feel that what, what we're seeing is that, that the valuations are still higher over there versus their U.S compared comps, so to say. And, you know, there's there is a variety of reasons for that. We can dig into that if you want to. But in general, I would say the not all, but many of the companies in the former Yugoslavia are somewhat overvalued. And what is your opinion on EU funds in Croatia and Slovenia and their impact? Well, I think, you know, the EU money is very important from the standpoint of jumpstarting the ecosystem. I think the what becomes the next question is, you know, how is that EU money perceived? And what I mean by that is that some of the startups or many of the startups look at EU money as part of their quote unquote business model, right? And I don't think that's the right approach. I think it's great to take non-dilutable funding, but I think it should be viewed more as icing on the cake. It's an extra plus and not plan your business model or cash flow around it. Because we've seen funds being delayed significantly due to administrative changes, whether it's on the EU side or the local government side, and it does mess quite a bit with the cash flow. And in the early stages of a company, cash flow is everything. The second thing that I think companies have to be very careful about when they get EU money is not to interpret it as a validation of their business model, because EU funds and whoever distributes them, you know, has a scorecard, but it's probably a very different scorecard than when someone invests their own money versus, you know, EU money. So I'd say, you know, go for the non-dilutable funding as long as it doesn't take too much of your time, but view it as an icing on the cake and, you know, plan your cash flow accordingly. I think that's valuable advice for some of the startups listening and some of the entrepreneurs. I want to ask you a little bit about what do you think about the cultural issues in the Western Balkans? For example, um, poor follow-up and follow-through. Yeah, so I'd say, I mean, we can we can dig into that a little deeper, but I, I'd say if you are you know, in, in doing business with anyone, even in a personal relationship, if uh, it's all about trust, right? And building uh, that relationship th- uh, through trust. So, you know, keeping your promise of saying, I will do X, Y, and Z kind of influences that trust. And if you're asking people for money, you ask them to trust you. So when you're an entrepreneur and you are, whether it's a business deal with a potential partner or you're looking for investor money, after every meeting, you should really be following up within 24 hours, recapping what was discussed at the last meeting and setting expectations, what's going to happen next. You're really managing expectations. And managing expectations is you know, very, very important in any relationship. And if you promise something that you're going to do in that recap after 24 hours, let's say you're going to do something within 7, 15 days, 30 days, I mean, put it in your calendar and make sure you keep that promise. And that's going to make all the difference. You know, what I see that that's not only an issue in, in, in regular communication, but I see it also on the sales outreach side, which is, you know, the conversation would go something like this. I will ask a company, hey, what happened with a potential client ABC? And they would say they're not interested. How come? How do you know they're not interested? Well, they haven't responded to our email. I said, well, did you follow up? 
well, I don't feel comfortable. Well, my friend, then you shouldn't be in this business because, you know, fall, be persistence and follow up and follow through is also part of the sales process. And basically, you know, I would call people until they would tell me never call me again. And that never happened to me. Nobody ever told me don't call me again or don't email me again. They may ignore me, but they won't tell me, tell me not to do it. And there's, you know, the stats, quit, you know, show pretty clearly, you know, what percent of sales gets converted at what number of follow-throughs and follow-ups. Speaking about sales, can we talk about the business development capabilities in the region and the weak sales that's... Yeah, I'd say, you know, the strength of entrepreneurs in the region is probably on the product engineering side and the weakness is on the sales, even that much marketing, but really sales side. And it's it's sales is really a process, right? It's, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of softwares that can help you create that process. And it's a matter of just, you know, grinding it out. It's a matter of just doing it. And at some point, just like in everything else, there's a compounding effect that will kick in. So I would say that there is a lack of understanding that there is a process, number one. Number two, there's a lack of curiosity to go and actually learn the process because on YouTube, you can probably get a degree in anything today. And then thirdly, I think there is also cultural, call it shyness in that sense that people don't feel comfortable because in the old days... When I was, you know, growing up at the region, you know, you have to be proper, polite, and you cannot be, if you're push, too pushy, it's considered rude. While, you know, if in, in, in the American sale way, it's really more pushy and in your face, and it's not considered rude, it's just considered, you know, you're trying to, you know, get your job done. So I'd say culturally, there has to be a, what I would call a little less, a little more shamelessness. And, you know, just, just go for it. And, you know, if people don't want you to bother, they them just let them tell you that and then you can stop so a, a good assumption here to make is be persistent until you get a no right <laughs> absolutely right fantastic so serge you have probably seen hundreds of pitches come through well being through you and your your group so if you can point out maybe two common mistakes that you see startups make when pitching to you and your group, like the, the thing that would immediately say, I'm sorry, but this is a hard no for me because of, what would those two things be? So one definitely big element for me is preparation. So if you start pitching to us and your computer doesn't work and your inter internet is not good, you would think that's a <clears throat> given that it would work, but you'd be surprised, you know, 10 to 15% of the time, there's some connectivity issues. So, you know, prepare, test, you do, do have a backup, you know, find a quiet room, don't be presenting to us from a beach or from a cafe, you know, just some, some things that you would, you would think is basic common sense is, is sometimes missing. The second thing is that a lot of time entrepreneurs overcomplicate their presentation because they're so close to their subject matter that they want to tell us everything. And what I tell entrepreneurs, you don't need to tell us everything. You just need to tell us enough where we would say tell us more at the next meeting and that's how you get the follow-up meeting and the next follow-up meeting and so on and so forth so i think you really uh dosing of how much information you present is really important and focusing on some of the key one or two benefits or the needs you're trying to to fill uh, is important don't try to do too much um at once because you with our group you have 10 minutes so 
you want to give enough information where people will be curious and want to have a discussion say, okay, let's schedule a meeting next week to follow up on an hour-long meeting to find out more about what you do and how you do it. And as a follow-up to this, to you mentioning that they should just share enough, what would be the three most important things that you would feel as enough information being shared for you to finally make a decision? Yes. Yeah, so for me, I would want to, you know, the decision to to go to the next meeting would be kind of the key decision at that first meeting, which is A, explain to me the product, how it works, and what need are you really meeting with that? And it was just kind of one and two together. And the third thing would be, how does the money flow? You know, what's what's the business model? It's as simple as that. I have to understand, kind of, I have to get the product. I have to understand, like, okay, I understand why that is um, needed and how it kind of relieves the pain or improves the experience. And then, how do I, you know, how do you make money? It is as simple as that. And if that, if the if the dots don't connect there, and then you try a few follow up questions, and the dots still don't connect, then it's a hard no. That's great. And can you share a story of one of your best investments? Well, I don't know if it's the best, but you know, I had kind of call it beginner's luck. It was it's a US based company. It was the first investment I made about five, six years ago. It was two guys who started a company out of Cornell University that created what would be a Peloton for yoga. So it was basically a screen with a camera that would have machine computer vision algorithms to track your movements to ensure you're doing yoga exercises correctly. And we, I think I made an investment like in May and in December, Peloton actually acquired the company. So it was kind of a beginner's luck, quick turnaround. You know, in terms of best investments, I'm still in all the investments I have. So I can't tell you none have failed. They're all still running. They're all relatively doing well in terms of cash flow. Some are tighter than others, but so far I haven't had any busts, so to say. Looking back at it, were there any hints that you could see that the deal would be a success? I don't I don't think, you know, it's 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 just not a linear process. You kind of get excited about the product and or the team. And in that first investment, I just got I, I got the concept right away. It was just before COVID. And I was like, you know, I had I used the Peloton, you know, American suburbia people you know, working more and more from home. So it kind of made sense product-wise, but as we all know, it's all in the execution. And, you know, I don't know if Peloton didn't buy them, if they would have, you know, made it or not. It's just impossible to tell. But I'd say, you know, what I get excited about is the product and the people. If I cannot connect to the people, I will not make an investment because that's what it all boils down to in anything you know, whatever you do in life, it's it's down to people. So for me, that's kind of the number one and key ingredient. You know, if somebody is, if I don't, if I have a sense that I, I'm not sure I can trust them on a human level, I will not work with them. And I'm not saying my instinct is right. All I'm saying is that, that's how I experience it. And then if it's someone who's very difficult to work with, I will also, you know, and, and you can tell the way people answer the questions or they don't answer the questions or the way they respond to you or how well they follow up. These are all kind of little hints. And it also depends, you know, how engaged I am. You know, there are companies where I just write a check and I'll I'll get the monthly report. And there are companies where I'm way more hands-on. And if the expectation is for me to be more hands-on, then I would expect also people to value my time and and you know treat me accordingly. So 
you know, if, if I'm going to spend my time with someone and yeah, I do get compensated some through sweat equity, but you know, that doesn't mean anything until it, you know, it converts to cash, which is a very low percentage likelihood. So, you know, my time is valuable. I want to spend it with people in a constructive way and I want to enjoy those people as people. And then, you know, and I do actually volunteer a lot of my free time, so to say, I give a lot of free time to startups. I, I'm a mentor at the Catapult program in, in Serbia. I'm a mentor at the Westchester, New York accelerators for that basically helps physicians start the US. So I do give a lot of my time to people because I, I believe in the whole paying word philosophy. When you know, when I came to the United States, really with, without much, a lot of people helped me and you know that helped my success. So the same way I feel like I should help other people, especially in the startup world, there's you know, things that are obvious to me are, are you know, big unknowns to people who are starting out. So if I can share experiences and help them get some direction and, and some confidence in that process, it's also, you know, helps me feel better about myself. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more. It's, it's very, it's very good for, to see that successful entrepreneurs and VCs and investors are giving some time back to the to the young founders and to people still finding their feet. <laughs> so on this note, I would like to ask, what potential do you see in the in the Western Balkan region and why? So my my investment thesis that I kind of brought in, you know, these nearly 30 people into the fold for this uh, initiative is that the countries in that region are transitioning from our work for higher dev shops to product companies. And product companies is where kind of wealth is generated and created, right? So while I'm doing it, obviously, there isn't a sentimental reason that I do it for the region. But, you know, what I've learned, because I've tried this before about 20 years ago, when I did it purely altruistically, it didn't, didn't work. You have to have some kind of a monetization strategy, some kind of a uh, incentive for yourself and others. Uh, so, you know, in interests are aligned because otherwise it gets messy. So I do believe that there's a lot of, you know, it, the traditionally from the old system, there's left uh, a lot of leftover um, educational assets in, in the sciences. And I think there's some really good engineers and some motivated people there that just need the help to get to the next level, meaning outside of the region and beyond. And I think our group can provide that uh, through some capital and and uh, mentoring. But also, I think what's for every startup anywhere in the world, what's really important is getting that first pilot, that first client. So if you have a network of people that can make an introduction to open a door, that's priceless. So I think that's something that I'm always challenging my group members to give their time and, and help open doors for companies, even, even for those companies that we don't invest in it, that that's fine. And some, you know, some people have been really good in giving their time. So Maya Bilic from Google has been very good. Ted Chan, who's an entrepreneur, Chris DiCostanzo, Ante Medic. So, you know, there's, there's a few people who really kind of stepped it up and helped out quite a few companies, if nothing, in, in you know, in, in mentoring them. Right. We're now coming to the end of our podcast and coming to our three super fast questions. So how this is going to work is I'm going to ask you three questions and they're going to be super fast because you can only answer in one word or one short sentence. Okay, let's try Okay, yep. first, 
First question, is there any country you can expect massive growth from? No. Why? Because the the ecosystem is just not big enough. The economies there are just too small to have massive growth. You know, maybe if there is a country that can produce more companies that have potential to come to the U.S. for high growth, maybe, but the countries themselves are just too small mm-hmm. and the environment is just not, from a regulatory to business practices, it's just not set up for massive growth. What is the hottest industry right now? Well, everybody's talking AI, so it's, I don't know if it's a fad or a trend, we'll see. <laughs> I I you know, I can't answer that because I'm very US centric and, you know, everybody's going gang ho about AI here. So in the region, I think there's more AI companies we're seeing too. Final question. In a sentence, what advice would you give to a startup to be successful? Be authentic. I think mm-hmm. that's advice I give any person in I anything like that. that you do in your startup, be authentic. Great. What a good note to end on. Thank you so much for being here with us, Serge. I think there was a lot of value to the audience that they can take from this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.